Should old Tim Quaintance be forgot? Hello. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Hello. You get it? I do. I get it. Yeah. Great. Great. Because, hey, if you're listening to this live, you should get, a, get it too. Happy New Year's Eve if you're listening to this live. And welcome. Thanks for being here to episode 123 of Dismembering Horror, the podcast show were myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslan. We dismember a horror film every week from our mouths to your ears. And <laughs> what, Tim, what was that reaction? Always, sound, always sounds a little inappropriate. You know, um, sometimes when you start saying something and you realize what you're saying, it's just too late. But um, your face was what I felt. So hey, um, how about sometimes from sometimes. our <laughs> <laughs> from our um, I don't know from from our vocal cords to your uh, listening organs. <laughs> worse, <laughs> worse. <laughs> well, you get you get what I'm trying to say here, and we're we're going to be talking about from 1980 early slasher. Appropriately, as I said, for New Year's Eve, New Year's Evil, which takes on all kinds of meanings once you watch this film. <laughs> film, that's right, film. Historic. Mm-hmm, film. mm-hmm. No, I did think it was interesting how it was, it's very, very early in, like, you know, we, we think of 80s and slashers and slashers in 80s. It's from 1980. So it really was like one of the the first of those Halloween, you know, just take a take a day and make a horror movie out of it films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, like right around it must I didn't see exactly, but you know, pretty much right when Friday the 13th came out, a couple years after Halloween or whatever. So uh one of the originals. And it's just kind of so cool because even though it's from 1980, it feels super 80s, even though it should kind of feel more 70s in a way, you know? Yeah, and I, yeah, that's, there's something weird about how, <laughs> I almost feel like the directors or producers or writers or whatever were like taking a stab at what they thought the 80s were going to be like, mm-hmm. and they kind of got pretty close. And in one in one way, yeah, in like a pop culture-y sort of like cliched way. Well, maybe that was just from the nature of it being set in Hollywood. Hey, where 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 can match you live from? You know, which is often like the cultural hub of yep. what's to come and what the latest trends are. So yeah, yeah, that's true. It's very like MTV before MTV kind of thing, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Tim, but before we get into more of New Year's evil, I got some big, big news. Do you know the big news? Have you heard? Have you seen the big news? The big news. Um, Yeah. Everybody's back for Spider-Man 3. (laughs) Bigger than that, Tim. 
bigger than that. Oh, think of where think of where we are. Think of what show this is and what is always the news, the big news for our show. Um Wrong Turn 8 is coming out. Um wait, is it the 7th or the 8th one we've been talking about? No. <laughs> Tim, whichever if whether it's 7 or 8, it's a new Wrong Turn movie and the trailer was finally released oh, for yes. Wrong Turn the the something or other. I don't know, maybe it's just called Wrong Turn. So, I thought for fun Wrong Turn since the 7th Wrong Turn. They're going back <laughs> the direction they came. I thought we could watch it together live with our listeners here since we've built up to it so much. If you're if you've been <laughs> listening to the show, you know every time there's a little drop of news on wrong turn, Tim and I got to cover it. Yeah, about that. let's watch it. All right, here it is. I'm, I'm I'm sending it to you, Tim. What an exciting little additional piece of excitement. And this will be fun. We're going to play the whole trailer here versus our partial trailer for for the, our regular film. So we'll do trailer into the trailer. Tim, let me know when you've got it up. We'll hit play together. I got it. All right. Three, two, one, play. Do you know what we wouldn't have found if we would have stayed on the trail? The waterfall. <laughs> the <cliff>. <laughs> <gasps> What is that? Uh-oh. <gasps> oh, shit. <laughs> Classic. I Acclaimed director, Mike P. Nelson. It's a story people know but don't talk about. <laughs> God. Except in whispers, like a ghost story. Writer of the original horror classic. <laughs> we don't bother them. Huh. Mm. <laughs> and they don't bother us. <laughs> but anyone who goes up there, what is this place? Oh, yeah. They don't come back. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. It's happened before. Yes. <laughs> Descendants of these people are still living up there on the mountain. Prepare <laughs> for the return. <laughs> Doobie. <laughs> yes. They said they would be the foundation on which a new oh. nation would be built. <laughs> what? Did you see there, Tim? The R is facing the wrong direction because it's wrong turn. Hey, listen. That is how you do a seventh movie. And how you do a wrong turn trailer. That was great. They teased you with showing the traps and not the hillbillies themselves. That was super cool. Yeah. I mean, it looks... 
at least as good as the first one. <laughs> Tim, your reaction when it was like, what is it? The, the same writer as the uh, as the classic, <laughs> the acclaimed mm. original classic. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think I could have a conversation about that. Well, I think we could and should have a whole conversation about this movie once it comes out. So you bet yeah. we'll be reviewing it here. Woo! Hey, all right. That got me pumped, Tim. So much buildup. What has it been? Like a year or two we've been waiting. It's like <laughs> it's like we're the this like one of those like uh like Star Wars channels or something reacting to the new trailer or something like that. <laughs> yeah, all we were missing is a like an auditorium or like a conference. What what do you call those? The the big rooms at Comic Con Hall H. We just needed <laughs> yeah. a Hall H to be screaming and whooping it up. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Modine. Matthew Modine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was feeling that excitement. Um but we cannot belabor too long. Thanks for watching that with us, everyone. That was exciting. We got another trailer to watch here, Tim, and we're only going to make it a partial one. So you ready for that, for jumping into New Year's Evil? I'm so ready. I'm so ready. My stomach is growling about it. All right. Here we go. From 1980, trailer for New Year's Evil. One night, they were celebrating New Year's Eve. He was out, ending their life. I'm going to commit murder at midnight. Call me evil. Every New Year's Eve, the caller came out. How about that song, Tim? A New Year's Evil! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I mean, I don't know, Tim. I gotta say, like, the, this movie was it was far from revelatory, but it certainly scratched that itch. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird time capsule. Yeah, it's it's like... So much happened for so little, too. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, there's just, like literally nothing going on in this movie, and yet there's like I'm I was remarkably unbored. <laughs> right, there's so much like, happening. How is that? Just, how is that possible? And I, yeah, I, I like here. Where are we even at? We watched the trailer. We got to rate it. Okay, okay. let's seg- segue <laughs> into that. Sure. I wanted to start going on. <laughs> Um, easy to I, do yeah for me this is like super solid watch it with your friends stream it on New Year's Eve kind of movie yeah 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 I think I yeah I'm just a stream too but it's definitely it's just it's just weird and like it's it's better than a lot of the stuff we've seen and it's I, I true. Don't even, I don't even know. I don't. Better is the wrong word. It's. It was more enjoyable to watch. Yes. Than a ton of the stuff that we've 
sat through. Right. Which is weird to me because, like, in a way, you know, at the end of the day, the story is so one-dimensional. It's simple and ridiculous because, I mean, just to get it out of the way, like, what's so... It's so emblematic of the movie and just, it's so fun. It feels like it's more of a setup for like a slasher spoof where it's like, okay, so you have a a New Year's killer who's going to kill someone at the stroke of midnight, but how do you make it a slasher if that's, well, he's going to kill someone for every time zone across the U.S. (laughs) (laughs) Except for Hawaii, um, I believe. (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess. Cuts off on PST. Yeah. His death was was maybe the Hawaii. I mean, they they announce Hawaii at the end of the movie, right? Oh, right, right. So presumably, <laughs> spoiler alert, I guess. I mean, we're jumping ahead, but like the sun is now the new evil, and maybe he killed his mom in the ambulance. We don't know. Yeah, too bad they missed uh, the kind of like twenty twenty. You know on the even decade mark for doing the sequel to this one. Oh my God, <laughs> but, right? I'm amazed. Not I, too you late know, I just sort of assumed that this spawned at least one sequel and it didn't. Yeah. Kind of makes it all that much more um, interesting, special, idiosyncratic. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. God, well, pretty funny. But no, definitely solid stream where it's like, yeah. yeah, it was just weird and entertaining enough to make it a solid stream. But like... I recommended, um, what are some other slashers I recommended? Like Prom Night 2 and Slumber Party Massacre 2. Tourist Those trap. just had like, yeah. Well, I don't know if I gave Tourist Trap or Rent It. I forget. But um, anyway, those two I just mentioned were definitely like higher echelon slashers for me. Oh, where you I'd mean, give yeah, it yeah, a yeah, super yeah, solid rent. Where gotcha. those those films I just mentioned, they had that kind of like X factor that just pushed it that much further. This mm-hmm. one was lacking that a little, but still plenty fun for a solid stream. Yeah, you know what? It, when I find the time, I think I will compile a a little like categorical breakdown of of our the films we watched because I'd like to sort of put things into you know find all the slashers, find all the classics, find. You know, the paranormal ones. Um, yeah, we should add that. I mean, we have our we have our tracker spreadsheet. We should add a little, we could add a little block or window yeah. for, uh, for sub-genre. Sub-genre, yeah, that'd be fun. Because I, I feel like we've seen a fair amount of slasher, but not not a ton. Yeah, I know it felt like we were due for one, so this was a fun excuse to do one, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, do you want to know what it was about, everybody? Yes. Tell us, Tim. All right. So, Hollywood, California, 1980. It's, I mean, actually, does it ever say if it's, is it 1979 into 80? Is it that, is it the new year is, is. I don't it's think ho- so. It, it doesn't. I don't think it specifies, but let's just Tim, say it's it a, is. It's a timeless classic. That's, that's why. right. So <laughs> let's just say that we're, uh, you know, we're on New Year's Eve and there is a, a in this time in the world, um, this is when people all still just tuned into like one 
network or maybe one of the three networks for the New Year's Eve like party lead up to the countdown to uh, the stroke of midnight. And in Hollywood, there's one particular um, program that involves the youth punk rockers and such and rock and roll music and a <laughs> a seemingly somewhat out of place host uh she's <laughs> she's she's like 40 she's maybe? pinky tuscadero from happy days also yep yep and she's all glam rocked up and she's the host but let me tell you what something about her hosting ability she is a charisma vacuum like she she couldn't not want to be there anymore like talk about telling the end of the movie at the beginning of the movie she's just like fuck this yeah although i don't think that that was a a purposeful thing that's just what was happening anyway so okay so she (laughs) we got to give her a name too she's she's uh diane blaze sullivan (laughs) that's right blaze so diane blaze is the host of this show and it's a call-in show uh for reasons that that i i missed i guess that's what you did back in the day you just called Mm -hmm. into the tv show and you said Yeehaw, or whatever you. Well, say. I know I was confused if it was like a telethon, like That's they were raising first, money for something. It's to- not. It's not. <laughs> That's just how you interacted in 1980. Wait, isn't that how uh, Total Request Live was? Like you, I mean, I guess you were requesting music videos. Where like, hey Carson, yeah, I just really wanted to say I love what you're doing. To, like, yeah, I mean, it's what it is. Is it's just the next step of evolution from radio right like you had call-in shows we still kind of have call-in shows in radio right so it's just like that's how you interacted or whatever so that's cool this this shows our framework yeah yeah and uh and she one of the callers they're, they're not really screening these callers apparently and so one of the callers is a dude who uses a, a, a voice m- modulator sort of thing. Very that analog, hardly changes, which is cool. But it hardly changes your voice. It <laughs> kind of just adds a little vibrato like to it. Yeah. So it sounds, so it'd be like, I'm this. I don't know. I can't yeah. duplicate it, obviously. But it hardly changes your voice. <laughs> right. And he calls in and he basically is like over the top, you know, I'm going to kill somebody at midnight and you're going to know who they are and it's going to be scary for you. Yeah, you. I'm so glad it was in the trailer for anyone who didn't watch it just because <laughs> yeah. that voice. Yeah. I'm going to kill you at midnight. Yeah, and his name is Evil, according to him. So we got Blaze and Evil. And, you know, and then it's really simple. She gets weirded out by this and we and she find you know she she's like somebody get my assistant so that we can figure this out i'm trying to do a show and then they find that the assistant is missing and then they figure out that the assistant is dead and then the cops show up and they sort of lock down the event and they're like well he he said he's gonna show up so we'll just wait for him to show up meanwhile evil who we see 
straight off the bat, we see who he is. We see his face, which I thought was an interesting way to go about it. And it pays off later. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just making his way through L.A., just kind of killing people at midnight. And he's recording on <laughs> a big... You cas- mean at, the, at the midnights, yes. At the midnights, at the, the various time zones of midnight leading up to L.A.'s midnight. Uh, he's got a tape recorder, a cassette tape recorder, (laughs) and he records the, like, countdown of the moment leading up to the kills. So one of the kills is, uh, an insane asylum. He goes in and poses as a, uh, uh, an orderly, and he kills one of the other orderlies, and then he, uh... He goes to a bar and he picks up two two women and dr- <laughs> very recklessly just drives in to a liquor store and kills them in the parking lot and then gets into a little tiff with some motorcyclists when he's trying to <laughs> fix his he puts on a priest's outfit and uh I guess he's fixing his collar and he didn't realize there was a gang of motorcyclists at a stoplight and he runs over one of the bikes. <laughs> So they chase him around. He goes to a drive-in movie theater to hide. They know what his car looks like, so he just gets out of his car. They find it. He hijacks another a couple who are making out in the backseat of their car at the movie, the drive-in. Um, <laughs> runs, you know, drives away, gets chased, runs over another motorcycle. Uh, <laughs> runs into a couple of revelers, drunk revelers in the street, like he has to stop or else he would hit them. I I don't know why he didn't just run them over, but whatever. So he stops and that gives an opportunity for one of the two makeout couple who, the woman who's still, he was kidnapping. She jumps out. He chases her. The cops show up. They chase him. He gets away miraculously. He just runs into the darkness. Cops are like, whatever. (laughs) Um, Meanwhile, <laughs> uh, Blaze is is having a flip out. Her son is there as well, and he's done drugs. He's having his own flip out too. He he really has a a mother complex of like she doesn't pay attention to him, which she doesn't. She's pretty mean to him. Um, so he's wandering around being a just a fucking weirdo. He's got a stock, one of her stockings over his face. Uh, he pierces his own ear for no reason. He's just having some angst, some drugged up angst. <laughs> and then, and then, the fucking evil, serial killer evil guy just shows up at the hotel where this event is ha- being held, walks in the back door. <laughs> Puts a mask on, which I think is like a Laurel. He doesn't and just walk. He kills a yeah. It's Stan Laurel mask, and he doesn't. He kills a cop with a brick to get in. Okay, fair enough. He saunters in, bricks a guy. <laughs> yeah, gets into her room, and then big reveal takes the Stan Laurel mask off, and it's her husband. She's like, "Oh, hey, Richard, when would you get here?" Yeah. So, okay, so Richard's the killer, her husband's the killer, 
Then we have a completely nutso run around in the elevator and, you know, he's sort of torturing her and telling her why why he doesn't like her. And we find out that he was formerly in an insane asylum. The one that he went and killed somebody at. Uh, he elaborately sets up the elevator to do stuff. He gets caught. He gets chased by the police. Tim, this is probably your most detailed summary you've ever given for film. (laughs) (laughs) They get to the roof. (laughs) He jumps off the roof and kills himself. Great. If you're going to make this, um, yes. She gets, you know, she's been pretty messed up by all of this. She gets put in the back of the ambulance and we pan to the driver's seat and it's her son wearing the Stan Laurel mask and they drive off. The end. So if you are going to give that detailed of a summary, you missed a chunk there, which was when he goes to a singles bar wearing a fake mustache. And Oh, well, yeah, I mean, I said he went to the bar. Yeah, I forgot about the fake mustache. <laughs> and and picks, up, picks up a woman who brings her friend saying that he's going to bring them to Eric Estrada's party. Oh, right. <laughs> and then he kills her. By with a uh, by getting her to smell inside a bag of weed, saying it's really good stuff or whatever. That's right. You know? That's right. And then her buddy, this is my my favorite parts. You know, he uh, kills. He uh, he's waiting in the dumpster for her, and just kind of like pokes out. It's so funny. Yep. And then the cops show up later, and they open the dumpster, and a cat jumps out. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it's like I think part of why I I kind of went beat for beat through it is because. There's nothing else to talk about, right? Like, it's just this happened and then this happened and this the, then this happened. There's no, like, real substance of any sort. It's just sort of watching these events unfold leading up to the end and then the end happens and we move on. I don't know. There's, There's something weirdly thin about it, but, like, also just enough. It's just fine enough to be like, okay. There's no deeper character arc for Not which to tie a all. thread to, which you normally would. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Then now we can really <laughs> dig in even more. Amongst all that, you've already heard a lot of it. Yeah. But, uh, to now even get in more for what worked. Here we go. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? What worked for you? Worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? What worked? I mean, look, I it, it does weirdly work to just have it be this sort of it's a long sequence. I don't know why it works. It kind of reminded me of um, like what I love about the first basket case where it's just kind of this one evening kind of watching mm. it happen out happen with what kind of feels like real time, just moving from kill to kill with just this. This interesting, fun flavor, just to kind of keep you keep you entertained between it all. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you were touching on stuff that did work for me, or at least was fun yeah. and entertaining throughout that whole summary. You know that I wanted to. I don't know. I just wanted to repeat it. I guess now, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, the kills. The, my favorite that was so funny was when 
he's waiting with his fake mustache in the dumpster and the woman <laughs> opens it up because she sees like a piece of clothing <laughs> hanging out of it. Yeah. It's the way he's looking up. And I guess, you know, I could just put it this way as for overarching things like having the killer just be seen straight up from the beginning and having him be yeah. just like kind of like a classically handsome, like strong jawed dude. It's there's something so satisfying and funny about that. It reminded me of Tourist Trap in that mm-hmm. sense and mm-hmm. um opera. Yeah. It was just <laughs> something that's really funny. And especially when it comes to him like what makes it so funny is then when you have a person or actor like that like having to deliver these these monologues or these moments of crazy, they just crack me up. Like, whether it's him doing that voice, <laughs> like giving directions, Ventura and Laurel Canyon. <laughs> He's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And when he flips out at the drive-in, it is like, where are the fucking keys? <laughs> this is one of my favorite parts. Dude, and he's he like, in kills, the ignition. He kills that guy. Yeah. In the in the the drive in presumably there's a bunch of other cars around them we see them yeah and he just stabs the guy after screaming at him you know like people around would be like oh what the like what's going on over there call the cops so this brings me to sort of the one thing that the deeper sort of thing that i appreciated about this movie i think the most is that in its simplicity, it's not trying to say anything. It's not trying to do anything. It's it's just okay with the the very simple fact that anytime you go, wait a minute, he why, he wouldn't do that. You you are immediately met with the reality that of course he would. They've just decided he's completely insane he's lost his <laughs> shit he doesn't care he's not he's not smart he doesn't ha- he's not he's not some mastermind they're not glorifying him or like making him out to be this like super scary evil genius he's just nuts and he's gonna get caught like he and that's nothing yeah. about him suggests that he knows what he's doing he's a fucking nutcase like <laughs> That has lost it and it, and is not like thinking. That's what makes and I liked these, that actually. That's what makes them so funny is because then it becomes about what are the choices these filmmakers are making for portraying crazy. Yeah, and like like I mean I loved I didn't even mention yeah the fact that he puts on that mustache and is like acting that way at the singles bar talking about Eric Estrada's party and then like he decides to put on the priest outfit too just like okay you know and then not to mention his son is just on another level of crazy too which is <laughs> this was so funny about it Tim it was essentially the B story of this neglected son who's like <laughs> brings his mom who is the who's blaze who we don't really like ever which is weird like yeah i feel like we're vacuum diane yeah yeah she's so unlikable she's so mean to neglectful of the sun like straight up so the sun brings her flowers at the beginning and then as tim said like even before he does drugs he's acting crazy and i think putting the pantyhose on his head he's like what was so funny about this B story was like you're like where is this leading and right. what where what is happening here and it's it's like as if it was all 
to be set up for a sequel. Yep. Like, like it's like a whole B story plotline thread was just for setting something up for a potential sequel or twist ending in this case when there is no sequel. Like, yeah, because so if funny. you if you had a deeper sort of attempt at this, I I thought to myself, I was like, how are they going to weave the son in? Because well, why would you have him if you're not going to weave him in somehow? And yeah. so in the end, when when evil gets to the roof, I was like, oh, his son has been losing his shit this whole time. His son's going to be up on the roof and we're going to get a little family confrontation of like, oh, here's this and this is that. And, you know, something among that conversation will lead to an actual like resolution climax, something, something, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) he just jumps off the roof. And like, and I was like, oh, well, that's sort of a missed opportunity. And then they weave him in with this tag ending of like, oh, he's now in the mask, which is f- right. I mean, I, I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. That makes sense. But like, it's like there's a scene missing. You know what I mean? Like they at, at least have the son on the roof witnessing his father dying. Something, right. right? Like something to to tie it together. But they don't even bother, right? Well, which what, which but, actually works because it's like this isn't the movie for any deeper like exploration of anything. Instead, what you get, they were far too busy having this. Um, I don't want to say bloated because it was just watching him do it was great. This monologue that he gives at the end after his whole elevator scheme where he's like, basically just goes on. He says, he doesn't even say women. He has says like, I want to get revenge on ladies. Yeah. <laughs> this is the whole thing, <laughs> including his wife. There's this big monologue about it. It's so funny. And then once they finally make it up onto the roof, Tim, they he delivers... Uh, what I looked up was a line from Hamlet. Yeah, it's Hamlet. Like, yeah. before he jumps off, which is maybe their attempt at some sort of deeper meaning or something just by... And it, I mean, on top of the quote itself, it's like, who is this guy? This, like, weird fucking guy who's, like, quoting Shakespeare, like, and just hitting police officers with bricks and, like, I, you know what? wearing a Stan Laurel mask? I think I think this that there is... We would have to do, I think you'd have to do a little bit of like mental gymnastics, maybe. <laughs> but I think that there's something in here that's like commentary on how Hollywood as a like place to live and grow up is is kind of an insane thing to not even grow up in, but like they're doing both. This speaks very very similarly to my perspective of coming to LA as an actor and seeing the type of people who are drawn to LA either from elsewhere or who were raised here and have a very like skewed sense of reality because LA is such this sort of specific thing and if you if you want to enter into this particular compartment of LA that is like the scene what I've always called this the scene right like it's the scene where people want to be seen right I want to be somebody I want to be seen I want to get you know like all that bullshit 
this feels I'm like, I this guy was my roommate when I moved here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like evil? like evil my roommate was the same character. Yeah. He was not he was not particularly talented. He he had charisma, but he was mentally ill for sure. He he had a drug problem for sure. He definitely had an alcohol problem. He had a weird relationship with women in general. Like he was a he was extremely problematic around women. I had to like get involved with him and his girlfriend a couple of times because they were combustible. And like their whole world revolved around his need for attention, this sort of narcissistic need for attention. And like even in this movie, there it, it really is touching on that whole thing of like I need attention. I I feel like I'm not getting what I want and what I th- – in, in evil's case, like what I think I deserve, right? There's that – that ego narcissism thing going on and his son remember there's this really important scene that speaks to this that is seems like kind of a throwaway evil gets diane in the elevator and is sort of saying like oh i'm just mad at everybody or whatever and then he goes your son went on an audition and he had to not use our name he needed to not be connected to us and because he didn't use our name, he booked the job. We're the problem. Or you're the problem, I guess. Like, he wasn't connected to you, Diane Blaze. And he mm-hmm. and he did it all on his own, and you don't appreciate him. So there's this weird, like, that's so inside baseball, Hollywood, like, family bullshit. They're all trying to be fucking famous. It's all, it's just, so in a way, and this is, Mind you, nothing has changed. (laughs) 40 years later, nothing has changed. You could have this exact conversation like at Starbucks or overhear it tomorrow. So there's this – there's something weirdly universal in relation to this inside Hollywood industry, you know, sort of fame-seeking – or celebrity uh, uh, world that exists. It's it's strangely universal. I don't know. Anyway, so all of that shit was working, even though it's really not. It's not leaned in on. It's just kind of floats there. It may not even be intentional in that <laughs> sense. You're talking. About. Well, it makes me think the the Hamlet thing makes me think that that's that this was written by somebody who grew up in LA or who like is has the same point of view where they're like can we at least just like throw just throw some hand he's he's that guy in fact my roommate was played Hamlet in college I was like what's happening (laughs) this is so fucking weird your your whole rant in that um pointing out all the how it, we still have it today really makes me want to see the sequel like set in modern LA that'd be so much fun to think I mean, about I, it I, I'm pretty sure we could write that I know I know um I feel like I got to read the line for context I'm sure people oh yeah have been go wondering. for it yeah. I never I never got to say it so his line he says <laughs> the way in before 
uh, jumping to his death, to die, to sleep no more, and by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Yeah. And then he jumps. And Tim, what I love about his jump is it's not like an epic, like, falls backwards or leaps off. <laughs> he just kind of, like, as if he's just kind of hopping over a fence or something, just kind of like, bloop, just, there he goes. <laughs> he... <laughs> In true character, as far as his character just being, who is this character? He crawls over the edge of the building like like he's just stepping over onto another platform. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's like just out of sight, which he probably was in reality. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they just cut to a dummy flying through the air. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty great. Um it made me think, you know, I mentioned Basket Case earlier and how a lot of uh, something that people love about that one, it is great, is it captures the sleaze of New York. And I think this is a good equivalent of capturing the sleaze of Los Angeles. I loved it for that. Like, you know, you had them cruising down Hollywood Boulevard at the beginning like, with women flashing their boobs out of a van and like <laughs> them the driving each other. I like the yeah. dri- I like the driver who get <laughs> he's so punk rock when his girlfriend kisses him, he grabs her by the back of the head and rips her away from him and then he's like, "Yeah." It's <laughs> like right, what you the have fuck is going on? All these switchblade knives like the Oh, the the greatest moment too. Classic switchblade comb. Oh, right. <laughs> I had one of those. <laughs> he's like fronting the cop at the beginning and it's a switchblade comb I forgot about. yeah those punk characters you know like literal punk characters and then all just set to this recurring telethon that isn't a telethon this weird VJ party at a hotel <laughs> with it seems like even New Year's Evil Eyes I just get it's just played at the beginning but it just feels like it's that music or that song throughout you know kind of thing it's so funny I loved it for that that L.A. Cities, full display. Yeah. Just one other thing I, it, it, about the, the little Hamlet speech. Sorry to bring it back, but it may, I was like, wait, which, which fucking monologue is this from? So it's early. I think it's pretty early in the... Oh, no, sorry. It's act three, right? So, like, shit's gone down in, in the play to some degree. But this is the one, this is the whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. It's that speech. And like, I think most people remember that speech for that line, the first line, or for the later time when he repeats the to die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream, I there's the rub, right? Like, that seems more sort of familiar to me. But they pick this like middle part that I think is not very... (laughs) Like, it kind of just goes to show that I think that they thought they were being clever. Maybe it's specifically to end the heartache. Like, he interprets his mm-hmm. hatred towards, or, like, how he feels women betray him in the right, world yeah. as heart as heartache. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know. Like, there's some... <laughs> there's something interesting about them picking that. But then again, I'm just like, oh, they're just... They're just... There's another take on this movie that I think might be more true, which is that thing of them just thinking that they know what like they're they're not they're not attempting realism in any way and they're not doing any research, right? They're not 
they're not being like, oh, let's dig in deep and like really say something profound. They're just a couple writers in the room being like, oh, yeah, punk rock kids, kids, they 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 fight and they like rock and roll. And uh, and this guy's crazy. And ooh, he's throw some Hamlet in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it just seems a little bit like they're just winging it and throwing I mean, just throwing shit at the wall, which I kind of what, like if that's the case, I like that almost more. Right. It's just all fitting for the character himself of what's yeah. his full name. He says he calls himself Richard Sullivan, who calls himself evil. <laughs> the Sullivan family where it's because that's who he is. Like he doesn't like how he looks and who he seems as a person is not someone who would say a Shakespeare monologue before committing suicide. Like just everything about like his, he, I don't know. It's just like the kind of person he is doesn't seem the kind of like angsty self. I don't know how to put it. There's just a disconnect between with, with, with the casting in some way, or I don't know what to say. Or that it is so random, everything that he does. And, you know, it never settles on, ugh, I don't know, man. It it's, is, it's like it's wh- whatever the tourist trap guy was, too, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, like seeing that actor who's just very much like classic man actor just going off the wall baddie. And- it, 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 you know what it feels like a little bit? It feels like it's written by somebody who slept through college. And was like, oh, this guy's crazy. Who else is crazy in the arts? You know, like in 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 all of art. Hamlet, Hamlet's crazy. And that's it. And they're like, yeah, but what does that have to do with anything? I, no, it, I don't know. But I remember Hamlet was crazy. <laughs> his His choices are too random to just sort of reach like he's, has this actual emotional depth mm-hmm. that's has any kind of through line to it. So it's funny, it we're just, sort of we're sort of in a way saying that this was or it sounds like we're saying that this was bad, but I, I'm not. Like No, because it, it made it great and entertaining. Exactly. Like this guy it's doing super all these things. Weird, like this sort of thin everything being so kind of thin and just on the surface and just kind of thrown in, or at least feeling that way leads to this very light, airy kind of, like, ride. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't care. I didn't... I, I'll tell you what I didn't do during this movie. Think. At all. I just was <laughs> like, okay. All right. That's cool. Oh, here's another kill. So, I don't know. And, and I wasn't bored. So I, I, You know, whatever. They, they did a thing. Quentin yeah. Tarantino likes this movie. I don't know. So, we're not... We're not completely off base. Yeah. No, it has its following for sure. I think largely uh, because of that theme song, too, it kind of stuck Dude, around. Or it's so good. <laughs> I also like that- how they play the theme song in the like opening credits and then like maybe three minutes later, the band plays it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hit it home for everyone. The, um, the crazed son is perfect casting for whoever this the weird casting is for this this 
this other guy do? And again, I don't want to say weird casting. I'm really trying to figure out a really way how specific. to describe it. Yeah. He's kind of, um, oh man. For whatever reason, he's just not someone I would expect to go this kind of crazy. Like, if I'd see someone who looked like him going crazy this way, it'd feel like he was imitating someone Mm. else's crazy in a way. Which then just becomes this weird, like, layered version of crazy. I don't know. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I... He feels like... He feels like the recurring, like, the recurring, mm, you know, third-tier character on A-Team. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's, he feels like this sort of, he's, he's like a poor man something. You know what I mean? Like, like, there's somebody else who, who got all of the work that this actor didn't get. And he was always like, God damn it. <laughs> Why can't I get the job? Eric Estrada keeps getting it. Well, not that one. But you know what I mean? Like, it's like the other dude, the, the guy who played uh, John in Chips, got all the jobs. And this guy was left by the wayside because he's just a little weird. And then yes, this is a perfect role for him. <laughs> right. Like, I know Eric Estrada, but I don't, you know, and, and that stuff. But it's not like actually the shows are fresh in my mind or I didn't actually watch the shows or anything. Um, Wait, is this, this guy was, <laughs> is this guy Clip Niven? Kip Niven? Is that who played him? No, like. Mm. Yes, Kip Niven. So Kip Niven, born Clifford Niven. Interesting. I, I want to know more about him. Here we go. He was... <laughs> this actually is about right. He was on in Magnum Force, Newman's Law, Airport, Earthquake, The Hindenburg. Man, he did a lot of the um, disaster films. Midway, Swashbuckler, Damn it. I mean, these are all like, you know, not great movies. <laughs> but movies... It's interesting. He's, yeah, I don't know. He's kind of fascinating to me. He is. He is. Um, I, I don't know, man. I don't know what else to say. There's just lots of uh, great moments therein that are pretty, pretty funny. Again, make it a solid stream it on New Year's Eve with your friends. Yeah, yeah. I feel the same way. What else? Uh, yeah. The Laurel, and, oh, yeah, I don't have anything this, else. I, now I just have questions. <laughs> the Stan Laurel mask, how, why, why? Again, just another, like, weird piece of his creation. Like, yeah, that's a, a perfect example. Like, can you imagine this guy, like, going to the store of Halloween masks and, like, landing on that one and going, yes, perfect. Like, what? 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 Like, are they trying to say something? <laughs> no, I don't think so. It's just... <laughs> But I would like to know the moment they decided on it, you know, the filmmakers. There is a commentary for this film on the on the out-of-print Blu-ray, so maybe all our questions could be answered. Wasn't Laurel the smart one in the in Laurel and Hardy? He was the taller, skinny one, yeah. If uh-huh. that meant the smarter one, the straight man. I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember. You know what? There's a couple just little moments that I think are worth mentioning. Um, 
<laughs> when he chains his wife to the bottom of the elevator. And Oh yeah, I did want to mention that the elevator like, scene. You know, and it seems at first like he's sort of he's done it around her neck like it's a noose and she's going to be hung from like from the neck from the bottom of the elevator. But then the <laughs> he sends the elevator up and she's really just handcuffed to the chain which hangs loosely around her neck. It's very strange. And they cut away to like a wide shot of the body being hoisted up and it is so clearly somebody else like a stunt man in her costume and it cracked me the fuck up because it's it's not even close <laughs> to her body and huh? i just love it it's like it's from behind you don't see her there's like maybe probably a wig on the person but like you can't even tell that and then <laughs> the way that they're swinging their little booty feet like as it f- goes up cracked me up i couldn't stop laughing it just is so comical I I didn't notice if it was another if it was a man wow. at all. What what I noticed, which was I thought you were going to mention, what I loved about that so much was a. It seems like since he's not hanging her there to kill her necessarily, it's just like what is he doing? He's just kind of like torturing her. Like what is the whole the point of this whole thing that yeah, he's like, doing? What's the end game here? To smush her? Like take her to the top to scare her and then have it fall to the to the bottom and squish like what where are we going with it? Right. And then I and then I thought this is maybe also where you're going with it, that shot. I think it's the shot you're talking about. I was just so amazed at the shot itself where I'm like, how did they do this? Where it's like there must be because you're all you're within the elevator shaft, yet you're wide enough to kind of see her fully getting and you're the camera's on some kind of same rope or pulley, you know, whatever it is, yeah. those metal cables, like, getting pulled up the same time as her. I don't know. It was just this incredible <laughs> shot, actually. I don't, I don't know. How they, like, shot this person in an elevator shaft yeah. getting For drugged this up, movie in particular, you're like, wow, they really... This was it. This was the big... Yeah. <laughs> so I like I also that like, a lot. I, I love the shootout, and I love... Yeah. That the way that the elevator is stopped from crashing to the ground is that they they accidentally, the cops shoot out the controls that he has rigged to control the the elevator. Like, that is hilariously just, (laughs) again, it's just like, yeah, then and then this happened. It's not connected to anything. It's just, yeah. How do we get the elevator up? Well, they're shooting anyway. Just have them shoot the screwdriver that he jammed in there. What? <laughs> yeah. And the fact that he is like deliberately controlling this thing with a screwdriver <laughs> with a string attached to it. Yeah. Like, was this part of some elaborate plan for how to hijack and control a, a elevator? We also, don't know. <laughs> also, I love that he like when he walks, uh, you know, he's just killed a couple cops. Uh or at least one cop, he just walks up to the elevator, like, control panel, the big panel on the wall, and there's a chest of, like, tools underneath it. <laughs> Where the fuck did that come from? So, yeah, I guess it, it's like, unless that was a big part of his plan, too. He somehow preordained this <laughs> box of tools there. Yeah, it's like, 
he obviously thought some of this out, but like not really in a masterful way. Yeah, he th- that's that's who he is. He thinks of it just far enough to like a priest outfit will somehow draw less attention to him, which doesn't really hey, work at all in the end. I it guess. does though. I it gets him a ride to the hotel. When he right. gets out of the car, whoever picked him up in that fucking amazing yellow, like deconstructed pickup truck, <laughs> he gets out and he's like, "Thank you for your generosity, my son," or something like that. Right to, to really hammer home that he got that ride because he's wearing this priest costume. Right, right. <laughs> but still, like, what what was going through his? At what point in this big master plan was he like, "Yes, a priest costume," I'll, <laughs> and I'll switch into it after the first kill as part well, of my big plan. I mean while he was buying the fucking Stan Laurel mask, he was like, oh, hey, there's a priest costume on the wall. Let me grab that so while I'm at it. Did that have a practical purpose, like the priest costume, or was that just like his... Who knows? Right, which is what's so great. The but big I think mystery actually that is this. what it ends up doing, why it works is because it ends up being his character development. Right? Like... At- the 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 sum of all these parts adds up to us going yeah that guy's he's just lost it he's just gone he's like he's completely crazy yeah so he is it works it's a weird movie i thought um another good indicative factor of just what this movie is and why it's so um uh, why it tickles me so it's like shout out to the the bit actors who like who like played the cops and just kind of everyone in between like that's what poor man's roy scheider <laughs> yeah yeah where it's just like but anyone who just sort of had a little like walk-on role kind of thing or like their own shot for a reaction shot it's like those kind of actors just make these kinds of slasher films in a way you the, know the, i don't know the band members yeah they're like really going after it it's so good it's so you know it it just feels so accurate to me because mm-hmm. if you go back and you watch that stuff from that era just like the live whatever this is what it looks like and such a strange uh through line for a film too like I guess it makes sense if you're just trying to think, how do we do a New Year's Eve movie? But just, I don't know. I can think of plenty of other ways maybe that wouldn't be revolved around a a, a music countdown pre-MTV MTV show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it worked for what this is. If they wanted to work in that those punk rock songs and all that, hey, this is how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they had a board... And the and and they started in one column. They were like things the kids like these days. Yeah, and they just made a list, and and they did that with a bunch of different categories, and they just put all of it into the movie without any sort of attempt to make it like a story. It's just like, yeah, punk rock, knives, rock and roll. Uh, but you- uh, you gotta party, come back to dancing, you gotta come back to the singles pit. bar though. Didn't feel like it was necessarily like the the young happening teens, you know, there kind of thing. <laughs> it yeah, was, yeah, but it's <laughs> that's true. 
but it's it's titillating right it's like yeah it's yeah it's it's what teenagers think that they are gonna want to do at some point go get drunk at a bar and pick up chicks man which is so funny tim like when it cracked me up you have like in the <laughs> you had the guy who walks up to the two women and you're like who is this total total sleazeball <laughs> he like goes up to them and goes what one of you beautiful ladies care to dance like that kind of total like loser suit larry and you think they're gonna do the classic like buzz off loser but <laughs> one of them just goes yeah sure yeah <laughs> like okay that's how it works right yeah god everyone was such a sleaze it makes it feel like just everyone in 1980 like you could only be a sleaze and that's it cracked me up there's a (laughs) there's a part of me that thinks that that's just the way it was yeah i know i know that's what i couldn't help but think during it (laughs) like those women oh yeah really nice guy (laughs) asking me to dance yep all right well let's move on because it's a weird movie, and there's some stuff to talk about that didn't work, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm so glad, though, since I wasn't able to watch it with you, we could relive it a little bit together. It's wonderful. Yeah, I did some yelling during this one, so that's <laughs> I thought of you. <laughs> awesome. All right, move on to next section. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not I don't know, man. For me, it's just like it's one of those it is what it is yeah, movies. Yeah, I, like, I think that they're just sort of from the from a modern context. There's there's just things that are really cringy. Um, in broad strokes, the depiction of of mental health and like in particular when we're in the insane asylum it it feels kind of gross like there's something just sort of it's it's like cartoonish version of an insane asylum and it just when feels she, when unpleasant that one, yeah when that one nurse is um handing out the party hats yeah, i was like this feels wrong and it's not yeah. I, at the time it was nothing right it it, it, it it's not like in the context of the time, none of that was considered inappropriate or like cringeworthy or like problematic. But now we look back at that and we go, yeah, this just like, this is part of the problem with why our culture has such a weird disconnect from mental health and mental, you know, disorders or whatever. And yeah, it just kind of stuck out as like a, Ugh, eh. We should we should avoid depictions of you know mental health in that sort of weird cartoonish light moving yeah. forward. <laughs> as cartoonish as the film was, overall. yeah, yeah, yet so not too so strange. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, in this, I could say the same thing for the motorcycle gang, right? Like in a weird way, it's like when you. When you push, I mean, you could say it about everything in a way. Everything is a little bit of a cartoon. <laughs> the motorcycle gang, the the punk rockers, you or know, it's, uh, like re- uh, reductive, exactly. And so, 
as a whole, it works within the context of the movie because the movie just is that weird thing. But like individually, everything is sort of just it's weird and borderline. It it feels cheap to me in a way where I'm just like, you're not even trying to make a movie. You're just you're being lazy in a way. Mm -hmm. And so. That's part of the charm of it. I get it. But like if you were to try and kind of. You know, pick it apart. I I think that like if you were going to make a. uh, What do you call it? Not an homage, but like a parody of this. You'd have a hard time because this movie is parody. But it's not it wasn't meant to be. Like I said, from its setup of a killer who's killing someone for every time zone. Like. Right, exactly. Like, this is a this is an episode of, like, a Looney Tunes cartoon. That is the best way to put it, though, as far as, like, it's a parody that's not a parody. It's exactly what this film felt like. And I think that's why it, it has charm, because you kind of, I mean, within maybe three words of the first character speaking who's her manager i was like okay you know just get on board and accept this for what it is because it's it's a particular type of like bad schlocky you know no there's not gonna be any acting like it, well, it's all acting, no no realism, right? Like, <laughs> right. You, you just, you kind of know what sandwich you're biting into, and it's kind of a shit sandwich, but you're like, yeah, but this is the sandwich I was given. So I guess I'm just going <laughs> to keep chewing. Well, the first, it was, it was the, the open, I don't know, my experience watching it, I don't think this necessarily fits in what did not work, but, uh, but exactly what you said, like when it, as soon as it opens and you have that first, those first lines and that first kill scene, that's just kind of whatever or lame. I'm just like, okay, here we go. This is what we're in for. But then you immediately have these, the, the new year's evil song being performed and this party scene, them driving down Hollywood Boulevard and you're wait, and you go, Oh wait, this is, this is what I'm here for. Yeah. This is what the movie is. Yeah, Luckily the char- it was kind of more that the charm of the time and the time capsule nature of it carried so much of my interest. But like the actuality of what's being depicted was pretty like wah. Also like little problematic things, you know, the tropiness of it, I guess. It's like 40 years later, we know not to do these things. And if we are going to do them, we have to do them. You know, we have to play on the cliche and actually have it you know be poignant in some way like the first kill is the only person of color in the entire movie yeah and a woman and it's just like uh, stop doing that mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know little things like that you just kind of if you really start to peel it back there's a lot to be like that's not good but so of the time and what we liked about it was that it's of the time too so it's just this weird double-edged sword exactly it is a weird thing because you know you almost like want to not like it because of these problems but you 
you know, it just it just is what it is. You can like it without repeating the sin. You know, and I think that's more important than this is a little like off topic kind of, but or just like editorializing. But I think that there is a problem culturally that we're experiencing where people are held to task for, you know, for liking things that are that were like in hindsight are are acknowledged to be problematic. It's like you can you can like that thing. You just shouldn't be like doing it over and over again. That's when the systemic aspect of these problems never gets fixed. Like some of those John Hughes movies or whatever. Right. Don't cancel the the fucking John Hughes movie because it's problematic. Recognize the problematic aspects of it and don't repeat that. Don't glorify it. You can have both. You can critically, you know— point out the problems and still theoretically uh enjoy the thing it's touchy it's It's a very touchy thing i think why it's so touchy um is because like let's say you're watching one of those movies just the fact that something that's problematic is in the same movie would for a lot of people you know it'd be like just because it's next to the scene and includes these same characters, I can't disassociate mm-hmm. from the problematic aspects. Well, I get it. Yes. Know. And I think important to mention, this is, I'm stating this from the point of view of the person who universally is not affected by these systemic issues. So I, I think it's really important for the the me's of the world to acknowledge that the people who are the sort of the targets or the victims of the problematic aspect are having a completely different experience when they are watching these things right and so yes the problematic things need to be you know pointed out addressed and uh acknowledged um so it's it's it is touchy because like i can be like well i like the john hughes movies and they don't like bother me and it's like yeah but the women (laughs) who live in a world that are getting fucked with all the time and you can kind of connect the dots back to the the movies like the john hughes movies that that glorify that kind of behavior it it's a really hard uh line to sort of like dance around because like i get i get it i i'm i'm digging myself into a hole here so i'm i'm going to try and just stop but yeah it's a weird thing to balance the acknowledgement of problematic things and also your own personal enjoyment of a thing that that includes problematic you know things within it so that's it i don't know what else to say about it it's a weird tangent but well i think that's part of our experience in dismembering movies in general and horror in particular because there's a lot of things that are like (laughs) not cool 
from certain from a certain point of view or certain points of view in general. You go. I mean, Ooh. there are some people whose point of view is all horror is bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I, yeah, I'm of the opinion that we can make horror. That we have a responsibility if we want to make horror films. We have a responsibility to acknowledge the historical problems that have led to certain tropes and you know depictions that that are problematic and make horror from a point of view that that lives within that acknowledgement so that could be a good segue for a, a things of note question i have for you would you be set to do that definitely all right let's do it things of note This should be interesting. So in, with that mindset and approach to, you know, responsibility of making horror movies or movies, could you even do a sequel to this and have it work? If so much about, like, you know, including sort of having commentary maybe or re- reflecting on previous aspects, like you said, but also just the fact that what made it work is it's a time capsule, which a new one wouldn't be inherently for until decades from now. Um, The disconnect between the filmmakers intentions and like, I want to say maybe that's the wrong way to put disconnect, but you know, the sort of non-deliberate aspects that make it work in the end, you know, how do you deliberately do something that what (laughs) worked about it was that it was non-deliberate in a certain sense. Um, How, how, how could you, could you even, and if you could, like how would you approach making a sequel, let's say, set 40 years later with the son as the character coming back. I mean, that's obviously what you do, right? Like, you do the son. But you have to, I think, I guess to my point, you have to frame, you have to do the one thing that this movie doesn't really do, which is really actually, like, dig into why evil is doing what he's doing. And so if you use the sun and the sun lives in modern day today, it's a totally different world. How we look at mental health, how we look at, uh, you know, going, you know, uh, uh, violence towards women. But couldn't you find a realistic um, something that is a you know realistic aspect of mental health yet have it still, excuse me, have it still be where he's surface only looking like his intentions, his, 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 uh, his marching orders are only surface value of like, as simple as my mom was mean to me when I was a kid and didn't pay attention to me. Therefore I hate all women. Yes. Yes. And I think, yes. So I think that you need to, you need to have that be his, it's essentially the lie that he tells himself and have his character arc, be one that has to face that lie and have the people around him, the the victims of this or or whoever he, you know, whoever becomes your protagonist, be the person that gets him to at least face that lie. And then we, you know, however you want the movie to go, you you decide 
how he reacts to having to face it. And in doing that, I think that's when you can start having these these problematic questions answered or at least addressed because you're going to see him have to go through that process of addressing it in a world that already has, is is attempting to come to terms with problematic and systemic issues really out, out front, right? Like we're – they're right out front in our society right now. It's the, it's the conversation. So – I think it would be interesting to take this person who is living in the time capsule of 1980 that cannot see the world of today because he's so caught in that mindset that when he tries to start doing the things that his dad did, the world that he's doing it in is no longer the world he thinks he lives in. And so that world pushes back. Is that why he waits until 2020 to start murdering again? <laughs> like, <laughs> he, it's like his no, revenge against the Me Too movement or something? Maybe, but I think, you know, if you're going to stay in line with this movie, the reason he waits till 2020 is because 2020 was a cool show in 19, 1980. You know what I mean? Like, 2020. Do you remember 2020? It was like a weird what? news program. But like, oh, oh, that's, but that's not a year. It's 2020, like, I vision. know. But that's my point, is that to make this feel kind of like that the the original movie, you have to take these sort of like hodgepodgey ideas and throw them in there. Mm-hmm. You know, like make that the rationale. And I think you could you could get away with a lot, right? Like him being like twenty twenty, that I chose that year because I like the show. You'd be like, dude, what? That makes no sense. But of course it doesn't make sense. Neither neither does a fucking Laurel, like Stan Laurel mask. You know what I mean? Like so it's in it'd be line. About, so it'd be about knowingly committing to things that don't make sense. And that's how they make sense is because they don't make sense. Because yes. that's the heart of this movie. It is. I think that's yeah. a big part of why this movie works. It's kind of like um, one of my favorite kind of writing examples is for um, – Bill and Ted's bogus journey, you know, like the 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 smartest uh, being in the universe station that like splits himself up, yeah, and like they say station throughout the movie, and it kind of becomes this weird recurring thing. Um, when they were writing it, that was like a typo or something, where that that word like was pushed or like was the only word left when they cleared a page, and it was like at the top of some page, and one of them just said it in a funny voice, and they, they just got like the late night giggles about it, and then just made it a thing and made it the character. It's just one of those things. Like it, it's how do you know it's right? Uh, because it works. How do you know it works? Because it's right. <laughs> you yeah. <know>? yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of the time when you're dealing with a certain style of of storytelling, <laughs> you 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 do kind of just have to like take the take the what do you call it? Like like take the emergency brake off and just kind of ride ride the wave whatever the wave that's happening. That's a weird mixed metaphor. Um, but yeah, take the emergency brake off the surfboard that you're on and ride the wave. Whatever. You know what I mean. Huh. I think that's often where you find some weird gold. 
So what do you think the framework could be for, would you still have some kind of like all night musical telethon with a host? <laughs> would it be his wife that he's now trying to go after and kill? Um, hmm. God. No, I think, no, I, I don't think I would connect it. I think it would be more like, uh, some sort of like some sort of celebrity figure whether it be a political figure or reality star or something like that that just reminds him of his mom Mm -hmm. and that I'm not even sure that that person needs to be the main character but I think that that needs to be like the the trigger for him Well, something we mentioned, it's like evil, like the killer seems more like the main character than his victim. Very much so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I I, I think it'd be a fun exercise for sure to just like throw a billion ideas down and like kind of see where it it lands you. And capturing L.A. modern sleaze and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so since we're in things of note, this was my big thing, and I think maybe this is part of how you weave together this story. You know, 1980 Hollywood is by and large non-existent today. So, like, there are remnants of it, and I think that's that's where you would mine some some good things in in this modern version or sequel. So the um the circular rooftop restaurant that we see that they're they're in the hotel of uh pretty iconic did you recognize do you know where it is it looked like it was all hollywood but as far as that hotel i don't it, know though. it is and it's still there but it's kind of hidden so this hotel was formerly the holiday inn it's the hotel at hollywood and highland in the heart, like, it's like the Times Square of Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. It's now a super mall. It houses the, formerly the um, Kodak Theater, where it, now it's the Lowe's Theater, I believe. Or, yeah, I think it's the Lowe's Theater. It's the theater. Dolby Theater. No, it it was the Dolby in between being the Kodak, and now I, oh. I believe it's the, I, it's the Lowe's something-something Highland Hotel I think it's the Lowe's Theater. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's still the Dolby Theater. Something like that. Anyway, it's changed a ton. It's this, where the Academy Awards are held. That's where you're that's, getting That's at. right. And they've been held there for 60 years or something like that. 50 years. That whole complex has been redone a few times. It's a huge complex now. To put the movie there... And have this character have to sort of face how much that has changed, how it's barely recognizable. That restaurant, that circular restaurant, I think it's a restaurant, but that circular architecture rooftop thing is still there. But it's pretty much hidden by the structure that they've built up around it currently. Mm. Um you can see it from like one angle, basically, and the rest it, you have to be northeast of it to see it. It's you know what I mean. It's like that kind of thing, where it used to be this kind of prominent feature, and like 
all of the location stuff I'm really fascinated by. Like, for example, they like they go to Dale's Liquor, which is still around. It's in the valley. But they also go to another liquor store where the two women get killed. That's been bulldozed. It's a Walgreens now. You know what I mean? Wait, did you did you find the locations from New Year's Evil like little blog spot entry? Yeah, that someone did. Okay, I'm looking at that now too, I and I was just thinking, shit. like, Tim, this would be ripe for us to do a location yes. tour for. So I just think that there's something, you know, if you're gonna do a movie 40 years later, show and and especially a movie that really is, I you know, uses iconography of that 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 still exists right like hollywood downtown if you want to call it downtown but like the center of hollywood is still there right and there are remnants of it like any city but the facades that have been painted over and over and over and over have changed so much but the remnants of those things are still there and i've always found that to be one of the more fascinating parts of living in a city when i lived in new york same thing like i love going and seeing pictures of what that corner looked like a hundred years ago and and what's still there and what's not how the skyline has changed same with 40 years ago 30 years ago exactly i love that and so like i think that you can do you can get a lot out of that that theme of like glorifying the past or a certain time and being mad that it's gone. But when you so, come down to it, 1980 Hollywood was a trash heap, right? Like you're glorifying a thing that was never really that great. I mean, that's kind of what Hollywood still is. I Well, d- d- depends on who you ask, right? Like, <laughs> yes and no. But that's what I love about it, too, it, in a exactly. way. So, like, you you have that dichotomy of sort of like, trying to put the the paint over the thing to make it seem like it's nice but really just it's just a couple layers over the really gross gnarly facade that was there 40 years ago i mean something you said in there makes me think that's exactly the kind of meta commentary you want from a 40 years later sequel of like because on some level you're trying to like glorify something that you can never duplicate and so have it be a sort of built-in commentary on that yet you're doing it at the same time it's it's kind of cool yeah anyway that's it (laughs) great (laughs) no that was my big uh yeah you know things of note question for you and just to put out there if we ever want to do the a filming locations tour, you know, that are in and around LA, this one was uh, kind of built for it. Hell yeah. Cool. All right. Well, should we put a bow on New Year's Evil again? Happy New Year's, everyone, and move on to our recommendations. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, to keep up with the Bill and Ted theme, of course, I already recommended Ed, <laughs> the new Bill and Ted movie, but um, Bill, you know, the filmmaker Alex Winter, He's made some good documentaries, including uh, a recently released documentary on Frank Zappa, just called Straight Up Zappa. And oh, nice. I thought it was great. And um, he's been working on it forever. He had exclusive access to Zappa's personal archives, you know, which was a first for any other previous documentarian. And uh, even if you're not a fan, it's like a great just kind of you know, like kind of the best musical documentaries, just kind of like an overview too of who is this guy, what is his music, um, and all very, very well done. 
So into sort of those uh, rock figure, musical figure, especially of the kind of um, hard-to-define characters. He was definitely one of them. Check it out. Zappa. Zappa. Cool. I found a, um, a YouTube channel called Ghost Uh-oh. Town Living. How did I know you were going <laughs> to... The word ghost was going to be in it as soon as you said YouTube channel. So this <laughs> dude, right before quarantine, I guess, seems like it was right before quarantine, he and a, I think a buddy and like they got a bunch of... I, I, I assume they got a bunch of investors to put money in and bought a, a abandoned, you know, just a ghost town. It was, it's formerly a, a mining town from, you know, it, probably the mine, I don't know when it stopped being in use, but at least 50 or 60 years ago, they stopped doing anything to it. They stopped mining it. So it's just been a ghost town for 60 years or something like that. But it was around. I mean, they, the mine started in like, I think they said the mid-1800s or even, yeah, probably mid-1800s. And so he bought the town and he's trying to sort of fix it up like and, and maintain a lot of the historical, you know, significance of it and like turn it into a place that people can come either as artist retreat type place with like little Airbnb cabins that are like designed uh of uh you know the the sort of era of the mines and dude this guy is i mean he's crazy he (laughs) he by himself has been exploring the mines it's like the most dangerous thing you could fucking do uh and some of the mines are supposedly haunted and he's got videos of him going in there and man it is scary like just the idea of being down in these mines by yourself is scary to me, um, but it's a really fascinating story, and he's got quite a bit of he's got a year's worth of videos, um, so I you know well seven months worth of videos, uh, so there's not a ton of them. I'm looking right now. There's about mm, twenty twenty some odd videos, and they're all about a half hour or so long. So if you want to just dive in and like barrel through kind of like you know like a binge binge worthy type thing, I think I think this is worthwhile. It's it's really it's really quite fascinating. He's like finding all sorts of cool little uh artifacts and such. So get into it. It's called Ghost Town Living. That's the channel. Ghost Town Living. Sounds great. Yeah. Well, I hope what also sounds great is whatever movie we pull for next for next week. All right, I got it right here. I think it's your turn, isn't it? Uh, I don't know, but sure, let's go with that. <laughs> okay. All right, and stop. Oh, this is well, it's a big one. Let's see. Oh, I think I know what it is. Then, yep. <laughs> yep. What? Oh, okay. No, different one. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? Submitted by Ramsey, our friend. Great. I've seen this movie. I have not. And oh, I've been hold- man. I've been holding off because I knew it was in the hat. Oh, it's a classic. It's so good. Cool. <laughs> Great. Keep it up with uh, the classics until, um, until we get to the new wrong turn, which is by the writer <laughs> of a classic. That's right. <laughs> the classic. Yep. Cool. Ramsey is actually as part of the High Dushku Council from our wrong turn <laughs> episode. All right. Well, tie it all together. 
<laughs> exactly. Great, great. Well, until then, you can find us wherever you found us at dismembering or at dismemberinghorror.com. We got an Instagram. Got a, we even got a YouTube with a couple promo videos on it now. It's true. Um, Going to start making a, more of a social media push, I think, in the coming months. Yeah, we're catching up on our old our old regular posts. Yep. Anyway. But uh either way, we we do we do mean it. Thank you so so much for being here. Yep. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>